NPR. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Darian Woods. And I'm Paddy Hirsch. The butterfly effect is what happens when a small change in one part of a system can eventually trigger a much larger disruption in the same system. You know, a butterfly twitches its wings in Dublin, and a few weeks later, Australia is struck by a tornado. But, you know, right now, the finance world has its collective eye on one particular butterfly in Tokyo. And it's wondering when that butterfly beats its wings, how bad the repercussions might be. The butterfly is the interest rate on the Japanese 10-year government bond, which has been locked in a narrow range since 2016. That range lock is called the yield curve control, and the global bond market is abuzz with speculation that the Japanese central bank could remove or adjust it. On today's show, we're going to look at Japan's yield curve control to explain what it is and why it exists, and also what might happen if it goes away. There are literally billions of dollars at stake on this one. We'll find out more after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Babson College. The world needs entrepreneurial leaders, and you can become one at Babson College. Gain the skills to lead, motivate, and inspire through a specialized master's or MBA program with full-time, part-time, and online options. Turn ideas into action with a graduate program that caters to your professional needs and fits your lifestyle. Ranked number one in entrepreneurship by U.S. News and World Report. Apply now at babson.edu slash gradprograms. When we talk about government bond markets, we tend to focus on the U.S. And that's because America's bond markets are so large and its bonds are in such demand. And it's true that when things happen in U.S. markets, the whole world pays attention. But sometimes things happen in reverse, and it's the U.S. that's put on alert. That's happening right now as the bond world waits to see what Japan might do to something called its yield curve control. I'm really glad that you're asking about this because I would say it's one of the most important dynamics in the global bond market space. This is Priya Misra, head of global rate strategy at TD Securities. If she sounds familiar, that's because I was talking to her last week about the risks inherent in US government bonds. But apparently I was missing the real story, this yield curve control thingy. It's been such a big part of investing in Japan that I don't think it's even practical to think about that going away. It'll be a massive shock to the financial system. Japan put this yield curve control in place in 2016. Back then, the country was still struggling to pull out of more than a decade of slow growth. It was plagued by deflation, which is where the price of goods actually falls. That might not have been bad for consumers, but it was deadly for companies, which were unable to make more money and unable to grow. Yeah, deflation is like this really underrated plague on an economy. Yeah, I mean, it is terrible. It happened in the US at the time of the Great Depression. Yeah, and uh, so the Japanese financial system needed an antidote to this. It needed some inflation to bring the economy back to health. So the Bank of Japan, the BOJ, began buying vast quantities of government bonds. It hoped its demand for those bonds would drive down the interest rates on them. And that way, companies that were having difficulty making money will be able to borrow cheaply instead. But the tactic didn't work. The BOJ had bought 40% of the then $9 trillion Japanese government bond market, and inflation was still poisonously low. So the BOJ went to plan B, drop interest rates to zero. But that didn't work either. The BOJ was out of options, so it needed a Hail Mary. 
the issue became that they were buying up too much of the domestic bond market. So yield curve control was launched to keep interest rates where they were without the BOJ having to come and buy large amounts of the bond market and actually create a market functioning issue. The yield curve control is a fancy way of saying that the Bank of Japan was committed to keeping the interest rate on the 10-year government bond at zero. And it did this by buying up any and all 10-year bonds that were priced at or below a certain point. It propped the market up for those bonds, in other words. The tactic was aimed at ensuring that companies which borrow short and medium-term loans, that these companies were able to borrow cheaply without worrying about movements in interest rates. But at the same time, the rates on long-term bonds, which are bought by life insurance and pension funds, were still reasonably attractive to those investors. It was a bold and innovative move at the time. Why is it such a big deal? It's obviously a very big deal for Japan. So you provide a lot of certainty from the central bank. And the central bank is credible. Apart from the domestic impact of stimulating growth or investment in Japan, what it also meant is for the Japanese investor base, it told them where they were going to get returns domestically. There was a downside, of course. Isn't there always? There always is, yes. (laughs) There's always some kind of side effect or unintended consequence. And the one here was that a lot of Japanese investors got the message that with the 10-year interest rates pinned to zero, maybe the returns on all their domestic bonds weren't going to be that great going forward. And maybe it might not be a bad idea to look overseas. Japan is an aging society. They've got massive savings but they're looking for yield to support the aging population. And so if they're looking for yield, you're not getting it domestically because yields are capped at a certain level. And so you start to look elsewhere. It was a bit like tipping a bathtub up on one end. Trillions of yen sloshed out of Japan and into bond markets that offered better returns, better yields, chiefly the US. This was a novel, highly creative, very aggressive form of easing. And if the cost of that meant a lot of yen assets were going to flow out or a lot of the savings in Japan were going to go to the rest of the world, I think they viewed it as uh, something they just had to live with. And the tactic worked, kind of. The deflationary spiral was halted. But now Japan, like the rest of the world, has got too much inflation. You've got to be careful what you wish for. Yeah, and people were happy to buy and hold those bonds at first because inflation was so low. But in January, inflation in Japan went to 4.2%. Now, that made those 10-year bonds with their zero interest rates much less appetizing, and so investors started selling them. Yeah, and that has forced the BOJ to adjust the control mechanism. Rather than bolting the rate on the 10-year bond to the floor, the bank has allowed it to float in a very small range, as high as a half percent and as low as negative half a percent, but no more or less than that. Yeah, and the market kind of feels pretty constrained here, saying that's not enough. Inflation has stayed high and selling pressure on those bonds has become intense. The Bank of Japan has had to spend trillions of yen to support the market and to keep bond rates where it wants them. And so now with a new governor in place at the bank, there is talk that it might be time to remove the control band altogether. If that happens... Or even if the Bank of Japan decides to loosen the control a little bit and let the rate on the 10-year rise a wee bit further, it could make Japanese government bonds look a lot more attractive to Japanese investors. And that could be just like tipping our bathtub back the other way, sending all of that money gushing back into Japan. And we're talking about a lot of money, by the way. For example, 2020, we saw significant amount 
you know, 400 billion from Japan in the U.S. government bond market. I don't have a great estimate for how much in equities. I would imagine a smaller amount because we were in the middle of a recession. But you're talking 500 billion at least of total demand for U.S. assets. And I'm only talking U.S. assets. So if you make it global, it's probably a little larger. The impact of all that money moving across the globe and repatriating to Japan could be dramatic, Priya says. On the day of when yield curve control, let's say, ends or the the band widens, I think you get a knee-jerk reaction of higher interest rates in the U.S. And then that has an impact on slowing economic activity, tightening financial conditions. Yeah, higher rates in the U.S. means increased borrowing costs for companies and individuals. That's potentially a crimp on hiring and spending and growth. And that's not all. If there is repatriation, there'll be actual selling. Like a Japanese investor will say, I'm selling my U.S. equities or my U.S. government bonds and taking the money back into yen. As those investors buy yen, they'll be selling the dollar, making the dollar weaker. And a weak currency, of course, buys less, meaning the cost of imported goods rise. And because the U.S. imports more than it exports, that's not going to help the U.S. with its inflation problem. (laughs) It's kind of a nightmare scenario. And I have to say, Darren, it left me somewhat perspirational. (laughs) That's one way to put it. Anyway... Priya took pains to tell me that she thinks it's unlikely that the BOJ will do away with its yield curve control all at one go. I think there's lots of options, right? I don't think they can just give up on it. Do they widen the band some more? I think the BOJ has to really manage this very carefully. I'll say it does. The Japanese Central Bank meets on April the 27th. This episode was produced by Noah Glick with engineering by Catherine Silver. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez. Viet Le is our senior producer, Kate Kincannon edits the show, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Greenlight. Want to teach your kids financial literacy? With Greenlight, kids and teens use a debit card of their own, while parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and savings in the app. Get your first month free at greenlight.com NPR. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. (laughs) Dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR.